everybody. Welcome to another edition of Average Superstar TV. I am your host, Lauren Lepery. Please give us a like, subscribe, and a share. Please give us definitely that subscribe on YouTube. Also, check us out on Spotify, Amazon, and iHeartRadio. And folks, this week, we got one hell of a guest here. Uh, this guy has been doing music since basically he came out of the womb. <laughs> this guy's made many albums. He's done a film score for the one of the greatest movies of all time, especially for my audience that's largely horror movie fans. This guy did the great song Cry Little Sister from the movie The Lost Boys. And he's had his hands in a lot of things, uh, including that what we're going to talk about today. He also has a musical that he's doing, uh, pushing his single tracks called Chasing Down the Stars and I Can't Sleep. And this is all coming from, coming from an upcoming musical from the Universal called Don't You Forget About Me. So with that, I welcome G. Tom Mack. Hello there. <laughs> All right, brother. So thank you so much for being on the show. I will say that again, that uh, I'm uh, maybe an actor and a film director myself in the in the indie films. But uh, The Lost Boys will always be my favorite movie of all time. And uh, you were to tell me when I was younger, I was going to interview you. Yeah, <laughs> I would have to do a double take. But here we are. Yeah, well, it's a pleasure to be on your show. So um, tell us about so when you were young. Uh, when did when did you even know you wanted to be involved with music? As you said, and that I said, when I came out of the womb, I think a lot of it had to do with growing up in England and, you know, dad and mom always had music on in the house. I mean, it was a, obviously Frank Sinatra, or, you know, classical music. I mean, it was a wide array of things going on. And I've always, I remember always being... Um, in tune with it i could hear things and just you know that were coming across on the radio or what or, or off the telly and um i was just i don't know i think but when i really when it really uh hit me was about when i was when i was 12 years of age and then i just i just felt like i could do it <clears throat> didn't know how to play an instrument at that time so a mate of mine down the road who played excellent guitar who was like he was 18 years of age and you know I, I i would go over there with uh i didn't have a guitar then but i'd go down there he had next one next to one and um um he teached me chords and then about a, two weeks later i asked i wanted to get a guitar you know and um mom and dad were able to get me i don't know how we did it but i got a les paul jr which is now worth ten thousand dollars but wow. <laughs> uh it we didn't know what it was, but it was a good guitar. And I finally got my first guitar and I went down and started learning songs like everybody else did. And then um, realized, uh, and then after a while, the mate, he was in a band and he said, you got a great voice. Cause I'd be singing along when I play, so, you know. About a year later, a year later um, he asked me to join his band cause their singer had quit. And I was 13 then, I was rather, I, but I was kind of tall, you know, I mean, it, kind of a tall 13 year old. And then I just started doing covers and, you know, things just went on from there. And fast forward, I started to write when I was about 16, horrible songs, but you know, nonetheless, it was just some way to get myself, you know, I mean, at the time I thought they were good <laughs> as we all do, but- We all got our growings, right? Who were your uh, influences on music when you were growing up? Influences, oh my God. I mean, you know, uh, Stevie Wonder, a lot of R&B and um, 
SS Brits always were attracted to that. Uh, Marvin Gaye, all that, you know. I mean, that's the stuff I would be hearing as a kid. And then, and um, I just was attracted to jazz music too. Miles Davis and John Coltrane. And uh, that was always something. And, and I, that I was, I just thought it was complicated and I could hear it. I knew, understood the complexity. So I thought that was a really good, I mean, it was really good to have that in my soul and my system. And, uh, but then again, I turn around and, you know, and just, you know, love Led Zeppelin uh, and the likes of, you know, Ray Davies of the Kinks. His songwriting was great. And obviously other Brit acts as well, but um, was very keen on R&B, uh, you know, and years later, I, I still am. I mean, the R&B of today is fantastic. You know, with, I like a bit more of like um, hip hop stuff than the, the the sort of 90s, well, not 90s, but the 2000 hip hop stuff and some stuff that is today. I mean, I do love a lot of uh, interest. I like things that are interesting and that are progressive. Uh, but that's, and that leading back to what I've always done with my music. Just, I never wanted to be pigeonholed as to be in one thing, you know? I think that that's why musicals were appealing to me. So did you end up eventually moving to LA or for a while or? or no. We are now? Well, it was, my parents came over to America uh, to give it a go. And um, we lived in New York. And then my dad got a job in Wichita, Kansas, of all places. We were trying to make our way across country to go to, you know, we were the last of the of the hillbillies of England trying to get across America. So, um, but my parents were very keen on America. I mean, my dad had a, his sister lived in San Francisco. We had no idea of the lay of the land. And, um, but that's where I picked up the guitar when I was about, you know, 12, 13. And, um, got into playing music and uh, so i you know i obviously we i went back to england quite a bit because all of my relations were back there and um so i kind of kept the i'm still a british citizen still have a british passport and all of that so basically what was the i guess your connection to getting more discovered that would even lead you into the lost boys direction well, there was a long way to go to get before that happened. I think what happened, what I know what happened is that I moved to Los Angeles at one point and um, thought, you know, this is the place to do it. I'd been in New York and um, I mean, I was in cover bands forever, but I was writing songs the, for the longest time. In my When I got in my 20s, I thought like, okay. And then when I came to LA, I had finally gotten a manager after about a year's time living here. And then um, he got me a movie to do that Jerry Bruckheimer was producing called Defiance. It was an early movie of his. Um, and I wrote one, he asked me to write the theme, the main song for it. And I'd never done a movie before. So I basically um, looked at the film, wrote a song called Bad Times that opened the film. It was around that period of time when Warriors and all of that kind of stuff was coming out. So I did, it was kind of a indie, well, I was, it did pretty well when it came out, but um, so Jerry had me write four more songs for the film and um, there was my 
first introduction to film work. And then after that came along Fast Times at Richmond High. People started to get a, people in the industry started to get a, uh, a drift as to what I was about. And they were going like, wow, this guy's, who's that guy, you know? And so I started to. For, for, for the audience, audience though, because uh, that's, a, that's a film everybody loves, Fast Times at Richmond High, did you, were you doing the scores? Or were you helping out with the, the songs? Did you have a song in there? Uh, yeah, I wrote the song "Look in Your Eyes," which plays over the pool scene. That's that's amazing. Yeah, the beautiful, beautiful. And, um, yeah, and that's it. That's a nobody. I was I was the only one unknown artist on that. I mean, uh, it's just uh, Cameron took a liking to the song I wrote, and he came to a gig of mine. I remember that back in the day. And, and Cameron's yeah. always been really good at like spotting talent. I mean, his movies are known for music. So yeah. that, that's awesome that he spotted you. I mean, that, that right. yeah, I think that his that movie alone changed when you realize there was sure there was songs in movies before that, but that you could really knock it out of the ballpark if you hit the right songs with the right movie. That's right. I mean, I went on to do several after that. I mean, you know, uh, got all the right moves. Some films on it. <laughs> what was the movie? Um, Spring Break, uh, Hard Bodies, all these films. But I was just learning my craft at that point as to what this was about, you know. And they were '80s films. Mm -hmm. And then um, Joel Schumacher, who I he came to a gig of mine back in when I was still in LA. I moved to New York, back to New York in '84, um, just because I just I don't know. I just wasn't into LA that much at that time. I just wanted to. You know, Kiss had recorded a song of mine called Is That You? And I made enough money to be able to just move and just be free and do what I wanted to do. And then before you know it, I had, you know, other Joel Schumacher came along. Uh, I was li living in New York and he gave me a ring to say, I'd love you to write a theme song to my movie called Lost Boys. And um, and I said, well, can I t when can I take a look at it? He said, well, we're filming now. And um, he said, why, why didn't I send you a script? And I thought, well, A, I've never done that before, meaning read a script. I've always had the, pressure, the, the privilege of looking at the film to get a vibe, right? See how the characters flow and how to, where, where the direction was going. So um, I read the script one night, loved it, got up the next morning and started to write something for it. And out came Cry Little Sister. And, um, I was going on the piano for a bit and then went to the guitar for a bit and just trying to find where the groove was in the song uh, I was writing. And then with, I mean, I wrote it probably in about two or three hours, the whole thing, then I demoed it. And then the rest was, you know, I sent it out to Joel and I thought, I said, probably a bit too adventurous for a movie like this because, it, you know, I, I did not want to be like, it to sound like 80s you know no that stuck out yeah you're right yeah you, you i just want i've always and, and um it's really interesting there's times i got to a point that's why i love moving back to new york i don't think i would have written that song if i was in la hmm. nor if i i don't think i would have written the song if i would have seen the movie i don't really i just think it was my imagination from the script i read and i thought well I'm going to do what I, Joel said to Quintus, he said the quintessential thing, write what you want. Don't think about it being like anything else. And I love that about Joel. He was adventurous. 
And um, so I wrote what I wanted. It wasn't what I thought was ever going to make it. And then he rings me back after he got the demo three or four days later. And he said, how did you know? He said, this, we're playing it on set right now. And everybody's going like, oh, my God. I'm playing it against dailies, you know. And it is like so definitive, the theme song to this movie. And I said, okay, I've heard that before. <laughs> and uh, lo and behold, I mean, he, the only thing that went down is Atlantic Records at the time wanted to have one of their artists sing the song in the movie because they were releasing the soundtrack. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to have a marquee uh, value and all that, you know, they, they had Phil Collins try it out. They had, I mean, Steve Perry. It went on down the list of like the various singers. Like, like that. And I basically, Joel, and Joel was basically saying, uh, I respect this. I'll, but I, Gerard is the, um, I wasn't she Tom Acton, but, um, but I was, yeah. <laughs> um, this is G's voice to the movie. He is the movie's voice and I have to have his voice in it. So that's how I got it, you know, got, I didn't really care at that point because I'd been around it, you know, I mean, my God, I already had a pretty good career up to then as a writer and, um, you know, written, you know, writing with Carly Simon, writing for this one, that one. I just got so fed up with um, my cocaine manager after a while, I had to leave LA really. You know, and um, God bless him, he sorted himself out later, but it was just a disaster to my artist career. So um, I talk about this in my documentary, by the way, so I'm giving too much away in the documentary. I shouldn't say it's not my, it's about me, but it's not my documentary. Um, but it's, um, yeah, I just was fed up with going on the road and, you know, not knowing where my money was going. And, you know, uh, I, that's why I moved back to New York. But Lost Boys, I was still doing other films at the time and Lost Boys became that thing that was just so electric to me. And I wanted to, I just thought, wow, this is so much, this is so inspiring. And to have Joel be so adamant about not, a, and Richard Donner, by the way, the producer, the late Richard Donner, both of them are late at this point. And um, unfortunately, they, but that happens. But they both had my back and they said, Thanks for submitting all these other singers. They're great singers, but they're not the voice of this film. So did, when you say you had the Phil Collins and uh, Steve Perry and all that, were they trying to get them in there or they actually tried them and, and they went to bat for you and said, shut it down, you know? No, they sounded great. Yeah. But, yeah. It, it, it just, but it just, they sounded like, they just didn't sound like the film. Yeah. They probably made it sound mainstream because right? that's what they did, you know, not, not, not knocking them, but that's what that's, you know, what they were there for. It's funny because I can imitate Phil Collins and I can imitate, I've written with Steve Perry. Uh -huh. So I, 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 coming up in cover bands, I was the big thing that got us gigs is I could sound like anybody. I was yeah. like, you know, one of those, you know, comedians that, that, you know, does that. I was a bit, and a lot of it had to do with my dad because he used to be in a, you know, a big band. It could sound like Frank Sinatra. He could sound like Tony Bennett or, you know, Nat King Cole. He was brilliant. And I got that from him. So God bless Tom McMahon. 
Yeah, and the Lost Boys turned into a big juggernaut. I mean, if you really like, that, you know, we were there. But the look at the cast they had at the time was everyone who was everybody that was like on the rise. Kiefer, yeah. Jason Patrick, you know, the, the, you had Corey Mania hitting at that perfectly at that time. So, like, wow, yeah. it, it it was it was a beautiful snowball, and you know that's why it's made such an impact. Yeah, it really was. And you know, again, I was an unknown on that album. Pretty much everybody else on the album. I mean, they released. It's so interesting because Joel kept saying you should release "Cry Little Sister" as a single, and the record company said it just doesn't sound like the radio right now. We it, it sounds too futuristic, and we we wouldn't be able to get this on the radio. <clears throat> and um, so they went with uh, Lou Graham, with all due respect, with uh, whatever that song was, "Shadow." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lost well, shadow, and then they went with the NXS thing because, and a lot of it, they they wanted to have Atlantic Records artists, mm -hmm. and I wasn't one, although I was one a year before, mm -hmm. <laughs> and that was the funny thing is they didn't realize they thought, oh my God, he's an Atlantic artist, and they didn't realize that they let me go, <laughs> as a, you know, and they went like, oh my, God. they thought they were going to make royalties off my bit. Uh -huh. off, you know, I said, no, I'm not with you anymore. Mm -hmm. Look at the contract. It expired, you know. So, so I got to keep all that fucking money. <laughs> damn right. Dude. It's the way it's supposed to be, man. Because, you know, film and, and music, you know, the artist always loses, you know. So to hear that, I, well, I like that. It used to be that way, unfortunately. But, you know, it's interesting. There's a character in Don't You Forget About Me, my new musical, uh, that he he's a rocker he's like a billy idol guy and he doesn't care how he gets he signs a contract that really was the devil's doing you know he just said i don't really care i just want to have i want to be able to do my music oh my god you're going to pay me two hundred fifty thousand dollars, which is recoupable but he didn't read that part of the contract didn't get a lawyer uh. but he's a real artist you know he fancies himself i you know that i like that character because it's so indicative of so many artists they just said, I just want a deal. I don't care about the money. Mm -hmm. Then they care later. You know? Always. Always. When they, get, yeah. when they get sober or in many different ways of getting sobriety. It's always the new thing, music or film. Like you're in awe of it at the beginning. And then when, you know, you start looking at like your future, you're like, wait a minute, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Once the, I saw it once the thrill is gone, the first thrill, you know, is gone. Yeah. You're, you're kind of like, yeah. <laughs> right. Let's rethink this thing here. Let's talk. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. So, uh, so talk, no, but so when it comes to the Lost Boys, though, like I really think your song. I don't think the film. I always said uh, a film score in a movie or a, a particular song sometimes can make the movie, and if it's not there, it, you know, some steam could go away. And I really think your song because it literally played. Through the entire movie, like, like well, yeah. I mean, I thought honestly, there's there's a great story when I went back out to L.A. and Joe wanted me in the ed, you know go into the editing room and he they obviously had put a lot of things together at this point. And I thought it was overkill with my song, you know. And in the beginning, uh, you know, it's going up where where it's going, the camera's going over the water. Yeah, I think uh, I think I feel I feel that I think it's perfect, dude, because I feel I'm going to Santa Carla. Right, but it's they like had my voice at the beginning. They had my voice in there oh. as well, and I just said to Joel, I said, 
let's take my voice out. Just let it be the choir and the groove of the track. Mm-hmm. And my manager, and they all looked at me like, the editor looked at me like, are you daft? You know? Yeah. Um, and I said, no, <clears throat> it's much more compelling having it where, you know, where we have Star and Michael. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of trilogy that's going on with David and, and that whole bit where, where it does play for two minutes or whatever. And um, my, my manager probably decided, and we went outside and, and he said, are you committing artist suicide here? Your voice should be everywhere. And I said, no, artistically speaking, it doesn't work in the beginning. And Joel came and then Joel said, you're right. It's much better. It has, it, and it did because you're giving too much away. And then those, the choir gives a sense of like, what's happening here? It almost gives a peri- the sort of peripheral and the subconscious of the vampire. You know? and, now, and now that you say that, I totally believe because for when you actually sing during the you know the love scene, I think that's when it like really you know peaks. So if you if you gave it that's up right. front, if you gave it up front, it might have taken away from that scene. Yeah, and it worked better the way it did. And then you know, um, obviously the score later we derived from the song, and yeah, just you know, it, it, it's like a. I don't like, I think less is more in a lot of cases because it's, you know, it just, it was well placed in the middle of the film where, you know, where you really got the vibe of like, okay, I get it, you know, because the story had gotten along. I mean, I never wrote Lost Boy, the Lost, when I wrote Brother Cry Little Sister, I didn't write it for it to be a vampire song. I really meant, what I got out of those characters, it was much like, a bunch of characters that left a home that they had that was toxic or just runaways and just they found each other as a family and that's and that's indicative of so many people that leave their real family their blood family to find a sense of belonging with the family that they put together or find so it had a lot to do with that even though i definitely wrote the darkness of what the movie was doing but it was yeah i i I just you know you don't have to tell the story in a song you can ride the peripheral of it because that's you you know that's the the script is already written why write a song i mean i know that there are certain movies you have to have that let there be a comedy or whatever but in this particular film it was just too great a story and it had comedy but it was also there was a deeper story to it and that's why the song why I wanted the song to ride the peripheral of the film, lyrically. Absolutely. And once the film comes out and it's a hit, you know, I guess we were discussing earlier uh, before we went live, but uh, I, I've, you know, I've told the audience, uh, tell the audience now, I've met you a couple of times through horror movie conventions, particularly Monster Mania, and you obviously, I knew it ahead of time, you had a great relationship with uh, Brooke McCarter, yeah, that, that 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 moved on, and even Billy and Chance. Like when I met you guys, you guys weren't like old friends catching up. It looked like current to me, you know. Right. Yeah. So, so I mean, I, I Brooke is someone I've always held high. Uh, he's a guy I miss. I'm sure. Yeah. You know, sorry, you're in too. But like, for the audience that didn't know him, like, how did that relationship keep going after the Lost Boys? Did it uh, this always be, 
or, or did you guys catch up down the road years later? Well, he, uh, you know, this is the funny thing because I didn't meet any of these guys early on in 87 or, you know, I wrote the song in 80, October of 86 and um, I didn't meet any of them until 2000. I spoke with, Brooke got a hold of me at one point and said, you should be coming out doing these shows with this man, you know, and I didn't really, I was just at that point, it was the early 2000s and I was just, I didn't really, I'd been asked to do a couple of, uh, you know, um, Horicon things. I think I went to, I, but not to the extent where it was with the boys, you know? So I didn't meet any of them until then. And Brooke and I, he was so, the first uh, convention I did was um, Monster Mania. And uh, it was in 2008, I think it was. And so that's when I met all of them, you know, wow. like okay. the Corys and Brooke was so wonderful and so embracing. It's just, it, it, he helped me understand what it was, you know, I didn't, under, you know, I just knew I was to show up and I didn't even have anything prepared, you know, and, um, Early so, 2000 is when the conventions started to explode. Like there was conventions going on through the 90s, but like yeah. the business that it is today across all of America, yeah, like so you you kind of came in right at the beginning. It makes sense. It makes sense. It was a tremendous eye opener. Yeah, you know, it had a a sense of like community of like wow, this is really incredible. I hadn't. I mean, obviously, I was making a lot of money off the soundtrack, etc. when, you know, from the album sales and whatever, all of the various uh, performance factors of what it was doing with the film and uh, etc. But I, it, it was just an eye opener to my God, meeting these fans and, you know, from, and just seeing the whole culture of horror. Mm -hmm. And I mean, my, I remember my line being so long and I said to Brooke, I said, how long do we do this for? And he said, oh, about four hours. <laughs> and then you, you get a break. And, he, and I said, but it was quite enjoyable, you know, because people were coming up and just telling me stories about how my song affected their lives. And I mean, I had like a bag of mail, two big bags of mail at Atlantic Records before I did a convention. Uh, they said, they called me up and said, you've got all this mail up here, obviously because the soundtrack was on Atlantic, as I mentioned, and we don't know what to do with it. So if you want to come and pick it up, otherwise we'll just throw it away. So I went up, I remember I just finished up producing Roger Daltrey's solo album, Rocks in the Head, and I just got back to New York. So, and I got that message and I went up and I started going through all of this mail and I went like, good Lord. I was reading all these letters. I actually posted some last year. Uh, I took the 20, what I thought to be the 20 best out of thousands upon thousands of letters, like handwritten letters. Mm -hmm. And um, they were just, I mean, compelling. Well, it, I said, my God, what, you know, one letter was talking about a girl and her younger sister had passed on from leukemia, but they used to listen to Cry Little Sister all the time. Mm -hmm. And that was the last thing she, she had her headphones on as she passed away. Wow. So the power of what it's, it's those times when you realize you are, you have value 
you know? Yeah. It's not just making a living doing what you're doing. You have value. to touch and connect with people. It's amazing. That's right. Yeah. And so Brooke, during that whole period at, when we were at Monster Mania, it was another eye-opener. And then he, I had no idea he was a musician and how yeah. good of a drummer he was And until we just jammed one time in my room. And I just said, oh, my God, you're incredible. And he said, no, I played drums. I, I, the acting thing just came along at a point where I thought, well, maybe I could do that. And um, but we went on the road together, not, not just conventions, but we went out and played gigs and would pack them in. And he was just the best, you know. I mean, I'm honest to God, he, when, when he was getting ill, I remember the last gig we did was at the Roxy here in L.A. And we had a, an incredible night, I mean, with, you know, but there were times it would just be him and me going out on the road and just percussion and acoustic guitar and it would sound amazing. Yeah. Brooke was like completely full heart because he talked to anyone, anyone was invited, wherever he was going at the convention, he had like 15 people tailing him at all times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I remember when, um, when we when we back in the early days of Monster Mania, when we had the suites, uh, like, we would bring up the guests and kind of really Fort Knox it. Like, you know, we don't know you. You're not coming in. We want this to be a place where guests could come and just let their hair down. And I remember right. he'd be in there and Chance and Billy. And when Brooke would leave and go downstairs to have a cigarette, he'd come back up and he'd have 15 people tailing him. He'd be like, Lauren, is this cool? He'd be like, Brooke, I'm going to kill you. Yeah, come on. And there's 15 people walking around our party. that like, so As soon as that Brooke would leave, we'd be like, sorry, you got to leave. Sorry, you got to but, oh but, dear! Yeah, but like it's, yeah, it, no. it, those are things I can remember. He was like, he was like my Keith Moon, but a little bit more tame. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You know, I, I remember Roger Daltrey saying, "He says, my God, what a drummer this guy is." He says, uh, "He said he was one of the actors in Lost Boys." I said, "Yeah," and he was going, this guy's incredible." And I said, "Yeah, he's got a little Keith Moon in him." Mm -hmm. He said, I hope he doesn't have the, that mad, crazy side that we had to put up with. And I said, not as bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely the most personable person I've ever Yeah, he was a great soul. We, we spent so much. We got to know each other so well. He was a great father. He was incredibly, Brooke was always on time, always, it just, he never disappointed, you know, and that's what a solid friend is about. We both had that, I mean, we spent so much time on the road and just, we never had an, a row ever. And we just were always coming up with cool things, you know? We got each other, clearly. So you'd say in a way, uh, the Monster Mania convention rebirthed it all, like got your unit back together, the Lost Boys unit back together. Would you say that? Because you never really, tell, you say you never hung out before, right? No, I mean, they, they, I met them all that in 2008 at Monster Mania, and then, then it went on to do more, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, the last gig I did was in. Um, yeah. That, that is, in fact, speaking of the devil, Roger Dolphy calling me, and I'll have to call. I have to ring him back. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, hi, Roger. If this makes it your way, <laughs> I just, you know. That, that's that's so wild. We were just talking about him, but he had, he did a great cover of um, "Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me." Yes, beautiful. Uh, in Lost Boys, as, as over the credits, so brilliant. Elton actually said it's his favorite cover 
that it ever of, of anyone doing that his song. So, but um, yeah, Brooke, you know, just uh, Brooke was sort of he, the guiding light to all of that stuff. Honestly, I mean, he would make sure things were right, and um, I mean, even to everybody. I mean, he was sort of you know he led the path in, in a good, really good way. Yeah. yeah. So. And, that, and then um, after the Lost Boys, we were, I mean, obviously you didn't stop we, we making music. And what led you into Don't You Forget About Me display that you're, you, you brought up? Right I beg your pardon? What? I'm I saying, what, I know you kept making music and obviously you never stopped. But what led you into the play world of this the play you're, you're trying to push now, Don't You well, Forget I, About Me? You know, I always loved, from a, from a, a time I was a child, I, I remember one of the first musicals we went to as a family was to see West Side Story. Beautiful. And I just thought, I just thought that music was just so unbelievable to me in my, you know, and it was really like, a, it was almost like a rock musical, you know, jazz, rock, you know, cause it was like, when you look at, I mean, some of the language that was used back then, they used the word marijuana, you know, I didn't mm -hmm. even know what the fuck marijuana was there. Uh. <laughs> I was like a 12 year old boy, you know, and uh, but they it was, yeah, it was racy and um, it had and I just thought it was just and I, I I thought, I wonder how you do that, because it was different than writing song. I mean, when I got a bit older, um, I remember just I, I would love to do that someday to write a musical like a rock musical. And um, I remember one night I was working, I was writing with Carly Simon for her album uh, coming around again. And um, she invited us out, me out to have a night with Stephen Sondheim and a bunch of other, uh, another, you know, went to a restaurant and, um, you know, I, got, I sat next to him and it was like, dear Lord, <laughs> this is the guy that wrote West Side Story. I mean, he wrote the lyrics, Bernstein, Leonard Bernstein wrote the music, but then he went, then Stephen went on to write both music and lyrics, you know, Sweeney Todd, you know, you name it. And I, you know, it was just such a, an amazing, you know, we talked about, I always wondered how he sent in the clowns, how he created that very dark bridge. And then he said, oh, I wrote the song in like about a couple of hours and the bridge took me nine months. And I'm going like, I'm so glad to know that because if you wrote that in like two hours, I better quit now. <laughs> or at least quit them doing the musical work but i was always fascinated by it and that's when i thought well maybe lost boys could be a really good musical and um i went started going and talked to warner brothers about it and you know uh they said yeah it could be that could be a cool thing you know and, and then um vampires never have done well on the broadway or theatrical stage they seem to like you know Lestat didn't do well, um, even though it was Elton John and Tim Rice doing it. I think it was Tim Rice. Yeah. And, um, but other ones too. Um, so I thought, well, maybe in making this, really keeping with the comedy and the horror, make it into a rock musical, that this could be something, you know, um, a touch of Rocky Horror, you know, it, as a vibe. I'm not saying it, anything like that. So I spent about five years working on it and um, felt really good. In fact, the soundtrack is up and running. Um, you can get it. It's called A Lost Boy's Story. It's 
streaming on Spotify. If you want to go old school and download it, you can do that too. So, but it's, um, but I'm quite pleased with what I've done with it. And we'll have to see when this can make its way back onto the, make its way, initial way back onto the stage. So, um, yeah, it's hard to even talk about it because, you know, you put so much time and effort into doing something and then you're turning a corner where things are moving along into 2022 and then it's shut, you know, yeah, you, you can't do anything. You can't do rehearsals. You can't do, you know, it's just, yeah. and then they now, you know, close down for the second time over the autumn, you know, so it's kind yeah. of, we don't know where things are going. It, uh, it, it, everyone across the world struggling but artists especially you know especially anything that requires numbers of people <laughs> it's just it, 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 it's no fun yeah i mean i really feel for my artists brothers and sisters of music honestly you know i mean i mean just on a monetary level and it, it has not been good and um i'm just trying to be helpful to other people as well not just people in the music world, but you know, it's, it's tough. And um, I mean, my money is from doing live shows, that part of it dropped off, but thank God I have royalties that, you know, consistently come in. So um, yeah, but it's when you know you're safe, that's when you go out and help other people. And that's what I've been all about for the better part of the last couple of years. That's great. And when uh, I have to give you a huge, kudos to when the lost boys 2 came out i really love what you did with the song thank you like a lot i didn't want to do it i you know i, I well the, my deal with warner brothers is that you know they gotta if i they they do have the rights to use the song in warner property mm -hmm. uh you know lost boys related but i don't have to have my voice in it and basically i said to them i took a look at the film and um, I don't want to go down the road of, I just, I know what it was designed to. It was designed to go straight to DVD. They yeah. didn't want it to, they did not want it to go to theatrical. And they thought, and they saw the DVD sales of Lost Boys. And they basically said, it's in the top five DVD bestsellers of all time mm. when DVDs were going on. So I told them, I just said, listen, they came back to me and said, well, would you do a video so we can have some credibility of the song? And I said, yeah, but I don't want to do you reach. I want to do a new version of it where it's got a little bit of contemporary thing going on, you know? And um, so I just wanted to make it more rocking and just give another view, your point of view about it. And that's what I did. And it, it, I was pleased with what I did. And a lot of there were people going like, how could you be so blasphemous and do that? You know, and the originals. And, and I'm, listen, I'm an artist. I don't get, I love doing the original version live. I do love doing it acoustically. I did a version for True Blood that is, you, you know, that was cool. That was very swampy. You know, a song is a song. And the sign of a good song is it can be done in many different ways. I listen. I, I don't even know if just taking the original song and moving it over would have even worked because I think it, you're right. It would have taken the magic down. I thought you going the other way and Droopy's boat. I love gothic and industrial and techno stuff. So when well, that when that kicked in, whoever didn't like it, I'm on the other side. <laughs> I'm not just yeah. saying because you're, you're here. It's something that music. Right. I would no, no, I get it. I appreciate that. Yeah.
Yeah, a lot of people did like it, by the way. I mean, there was a good deal of people. It's interesting, our younger generation really took took on to it, you know, like people that were like 15, 16 when it came out. And a lot of people, you know, you've got to remember, there's people that have never seen Lost Boys that know the song. Mm -hmm. And I've had people come to my shows and I'm going like, you got to look at the movie. That's half of it. Seeing the film gives you a, a much more broader perspective of why the song is, you know? No, and I remember, um, and there's no reason for me to lie. I don't go to them anymore, but my early 20s, when I would go to the strip bars, God, that song was on. Con- oh my God, it's the, it's, the, Con- it's the theme. It is the theme of strip bars as well. Uh-huh. <laughs> as well as another Lost Boys, uh, Tim Capello, I still believe that that's that was always playing too. I always said the two of you. Yeah, well, I love Tim and you know, we, we had met years ago in New York because he's a, you know, a New Yorker. Yes, he is. And um, we met at a studio. And then year, then he started to have his career with Tina and all of that, with Tina Turner. And then, um, he, turns right. up in, <laughs> then he turns up in Lost Boys, which was kind of like, he had no clue as to what it was. It was paying him well. And he greased up and he did what he did so mm-hmm. well. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, he's a good lad. Um, Great guy. I saw him play. We've, we've done. We've threatened to go out and do gigs together. We actually did a show in Newark, New Jersey, uh, at a QXT, at the, right? What's that? Well, the QXTs, the club. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was going to say it's kind of a house of blues kind of vibe. You know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, we had a blast. We didn't perform together, but we both, you know. But it would be so much fun. I think at some point we will, you know, we probably should go out and perform, do songs together. I think you two would be great for that. That was a good club uh, for all you horror movie fans. Uh, Terrifier 2 has a scene there. Yeah. Pay, pay yeah. attention to the guy who played the DJ in that movie when it comes out this year. Right. Yeah, there yeah. You go. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, I think that was a great club. And then there was like, you know, Philadelphia's got a good scene like that. But Tim came through in 2018 or 19 and uh, he was well received at uh, Philly Mocha. Yeah, he was a great guy. It's great. Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, it's so weird not to go out and play gigs. I mean, for two years now. I mean, I actually, a, 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 my keyboard, a former keyboard player of ours uh, passed on, passed away from, a, not from COVID, but from a, um, a, a bad car accident. Then he was killed. And it was bad. This was just not that, this is, God, right two or three months ago. And um, I was just so devastated because he was just not only talented, just a wonderful guy. And um, yeah, I just, it, 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 we, it was like I performed at his his funeral and um, it was so, um, I, I, it was so weird to perform again. And I was just, there was like 500 people there. And I just felt like well, I said I haven't I haven't played a gig in like a year and um, what almost two years and it felt just wow what it felt strange you know not to for something you're so used to doing and I really only played you know one or two songs and um, but um, yeah so hopefully that'll come back again soon I'm, I'm doing some gig. I, we were supposed to start again in February, late February, but now it's, you know, starting late May. So God knows where it's going to go. 
hopefully this crop can find a way to get itself out of the atmosphere. Yeah. So meanwhile, when that when the world gets right, hopefully you want to go right out on tour, or is the the play the number one the number one thing? That you well, I I want to go back out and do you know Lost Boys the musical, which is what I was doing. I was performing the entire musical, which was going over really well live. You know, just obviously it's me singing all my songs, mm -hmm. but that was going really well. And there's a documentary film that we that had been started on me by um, Jib Jab Productions, uh, which is in the UK, and two, you know, great director, Kevin Wells and uh, and Jordan, who basically put together, uh, Jordan Dow, I'm sorry, and um, it, they approached me about doing a documentary, and we were probably a court, well, I went back over there right before COVID happened, and, um, or the pandemic, um, we started filming and we did a live show in Edinburgh, Scotland, which was, I was sick as can be. COVID wasn't even talked about then, but I got up and did what I had to do. And I got sicker after that. I got more, you know, a lot more sick after that. And um, yeah, then we came back, to New, came back to New York to meet with my producers on the way back from London after I kind of recovered a bit. Uh, and then they were to come over and do more of the documentary in April of last of 2020. And um, so I basically just, um, yeah, everything's kind of shut down then. And I didn't have a clue as to when anything would get back up and running. And uh, so, but I think we're coming around the corner to start up the documentary again, which is a basically, you know, it's a story of my career, how I got to America, you know, obviously, Lost Boys is in there. Obvious, and you know, the many different people I've worked with—from musicians, artists, to actors and directors—that you know. For the fans, what's the title of the documentary? We don't know yet. We, okay. you know, there was one title called "Who Is G Tom Knight," uh, <laughs> which is, you know, that could be good. I think it's going to really come to us after we get, you know, there's been about four or five different names that could work. You know. Yeah. A, a day and night in the life of was one of them, you know. Uh, so that's cool. And uh, if you got any ideas? If you got any ideas out there, I'll let send, us know. All right. Yes, I'll send them your way. I also, uh, my audience is always pretty well uh, rounded when it comes to the Kevin Smith universe. And you had you had you had a hand in the movie Chasing Amy, was it? Yep. Mm -hmm. yeah. Tell us how that happened. Um. There was a music supervisor, Bonnie Greenberg, who was on the, um, um, she was supervising the music to it. And she came to me, she came to my publisher at DreamWorks at the time and said, hey, um, Kevin's really interested in this song, uh, My Stomp, My Beat, that um, Gerard has done. And um, so they said, but we have one problem. We only have like $2,000 left for music which is, by the way, nothing, <laughs> you know. Um, and then I took a look at the film and um, and I said, wow, I said, we should do this. And my publisher said, we can't do something for $2,000. Hey, it doesn't make it makes. I said, you know what? I think, why don't you go there and see if you can get like a, 
put it, ask for a certain amount of money. That's what we're used to. And, and we'll put it, and once they re- see if their sales are doing well on this, I mean, it was Ben Affleck, early Ben Affleck was in the film and they had a few good, you know, good actors and stuff. And they said, well, we don't do that. <laughs> I'm going, well, let's try something new for a change, right? And um, um, so we did it and they put a, a nice little cap on it. You know, I wouldn't see any money for about it. But, I mean, I would still get my royalties from the film, but I wouldn't see the, the sort of license fee is what it's called, you know? Um, I'd get the 2000 and they owed me another 40000 something like that, if the movie did well. So, um, yeah, and uh, it was, you know, Kevin was all over it and um, got it in the film and appreciated it uh, that we got, were able to work with them. Sometimes on those indie films, if you, this is what I've always learned. It's like, you just got to do them, even if it's not enough money, if the, if the product is good, you know, it really, it's what it's all about, you know? So um, I went with that. I just thought, you know, I did it on a movie called No Way Home, which was a Tim Roth film. It was a lot more money, but it, it wasn't a lot. But I just loved the film, and it did pretty well. And when it, I can't remember that came out in 1994, 95, something like that. But yeah, Chasing Amy, great film, right? Yes, it was. Yes, on the theater. I mean, really good. still, it's a classic. Without a doubt, I, I, everybody loves the Kevin Smith universe. So you know. Yeah, I do. I, yeah. When I saw Clueless and I heard that he was doing this, I said, "I want uh, this is I want in, I want in this world." You know. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, G. Tom, Mac, I, I thank you so much for uh, coming on. Uh, this time, I'd like to give you the floor to plug website, social media, any, anything you got going on. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure and uh, great questions. And thank you. You know, let there be more Lost Boys and G. Tom Mac out in the world uh-huh. when they can calm this atmosphere down. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, any way anyone can reach you through social media? Yeah, or? I'm, I'm G. Tom Mac on all social media, uh, Twitter, FB, Facebook, and uh, Instagram. I would like to thank my audience for tuning in again. We drop a new episode every Monday morning on Spotify, Amazon, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. Please give us a subscribe, comment, like, and share. And... We'll see you next round. G. Tom, I thank you again. You rock, everybody. Thanks for being, for those that are viewing, for being fans. And just, uh, there's nothing more important to me from my heart. I really thank you.